Travels with John Smith, Chapter Twenty Five, Japan, Summer Year Two, Two Thousand Thirteen. I am trying to keep focused on the cushion about a meter in front of me. Every time my mind starts to wander, I try to remember various methods of staying centered. I try to focus on the energy coming up through the ground and moving through the colored chakras inside my body. Then I remember this method comes from India. I'm not sure it is kosher in this situation. I repeat the serenity prayer. I try to feel the light around and through me. I pray. All these methods last. For a few minutes, but I can hear the two priests walking around the room behind us, and my heart quickens, knowing I will get whacked if they think I am not concentrating. I hear a bee or a large wasp coming into the open doors of the temple, and I wonder if it is a test of my ability to stay focused. I wonder what the priest and his trainee would think of it if it flew closer to me or landed on me, and I got up and ran around the room screaming, or worse, grabbed the cushion and swatted and killed it right there in the temple. I feel the priest walking behind me, and I come back to the focus. I have an itch on my chin. Is it a mosquito about to bite me, or is it another test? John's stomach grumbles, and I resist the urge to giggle. I continue to try and stay focused, especially when I feel the priest making his rounds behind the small stools we are sitting on. We were spared the more difficult meditation pose, the one he said was the right way to meditate, to endure suffering. The peaceful silence is interrupted with the cracking sound of the long, thin ruler stick the Buddhist priest is holding as he strikes John with it. Mieko's mother told us that the priest would know if our minds wandered while we meditated, and he would hit us if they did, but she giggled when she said it, so I wasn't sure if it was a joke or not. What seemed to be a joke has become a reality. My heart starts to race, but I keep staring at the cushion, even when John is shown the prayer position that he is expected to maintain. I try to stay focused on the space within me. I start speaking to the God of my understanding, even though I fear it might not be the one I am supposed to be communi- communing with. I sneak a glance in Hiroshi's direction. He is the one trying to help John get back to the position. And just for a second, I lose my focus. I know my turn will be coming too. And then I hear the priest striking everyone in the room and John for a second time. I feel the sting on the base of my neck. And I am also shown the prayer position. Not sure if this is to atone for losing concentration or to try and regain it. I wonder how much longer we will do this. We were told at the beginning that we would hold the position for as long as it takes for a stick of incense to burn, which is usually 40 minutes. The gentle 
sound of a gong tells us it is over, and the priest says we were meditating for half an hour. We are taken back to the low table where the priest gives us an orange drink and tells us the difference between this sect of Buddhism and others. We are sitting in the largest, most important temple of this sect. The Konji Temple was originally built 600 years ago, but there was a fire and it was rebuilt 100 years ago. There are still parts of the temple remaining from the original structure, and it is a large, beautiful wooden structure with some smaller buildings around it in the middle of a forest with many tall Japanese cedar trees. There are seven of us sitting around the table, including John, my brother Don, my niece Yuko, my sister-in-law Mieko, Mieko's mother, and Hitoshi, who brought us here after his wife, Setsuko, made the appointment with their neighbor, who is the priest. John and I met with Don, Mieko, and Yuko in Tokyo on the 4th of July, and we took a bullet train from there to Mieko's parents' place in the countryside outside Murakami in the north of Japan. They are rice farmers, and the rice they grow is used to make sake. After Tokyo and its busy, modern, almost Western feel, it really feels like we are in Japan. Mieko's parents have a large traditional Japanese house with sliding doors made from wood and rice paper. Their dining room is low with rattan cushions around it, and there are pictures of their ancestors looking down from the walls and a Buddhist shrine in the corner of the room. The beds we sleep on are futons that are folded up during the day so the room can be used for other things. They have a room that has a western couch and chairs, but it does not get used much. We do use the western table in the kitchen to eat breakfast and lunch, but use the traditional low table for dinner. One day, while Mieko's mother was cooking, her father was sitting on the low floor-level chair drinking Japanese beer, watching sumo wrestling on TV. John said we couldn't get more Japanese than that. Both Mieko's parents are in their 70s and are actually retired now. Um, they are small and stature, but large and welcoming in spirit. Mieko's mother has a girlish laugh, and she seems to be smiling all the time, and she makes us many wonderful traditional Japanese meals while we are there, including sushi, sashimi, a curry, noodle dishes, pickled radishes and cucumbers, and a kind of vegetable stew. Every meal, including breakfast, has many small, different dishes, and always includes fish. Sake is also the word for salmon, which we have for breakfast. Mieko's father is the strong, silent type, anyway, but her parents do not speak English, so we rely on Mieko and Yuko to translate for us, and we even learn a few Japanese words, which I have to be reminded of quite often. My favorite phrase sounds like to daima, which means we're home. 
We shout this out as we enter Mieko's parents' house and we hear Mieko's mom's sweet voice coming from the kitchen responding and welcoming us home. We also stay at Hitoshi and Sisuko's house for a couple of nights. They are both real characters and again seem to be happy most of the time. They are both teachers and have both been principals of schools, though Hitoshi is retired now. They also have a large, more modern, but also traditional house in that the rooms downstairs are all separated by the sliding wooden and rice paper doors that are part of a Japanese home. They also have a square fire pit in the middle of one room with a long iron hook coming from the ceiling to the pit, which is used to hold a pot. Their house is older than Mieko's parents' house, but was remodeled, so no longer has the smoke shaft that would normally be above the pit. John and I walk through the rooms, marveling at how one room leads to another and the space There is minimal clutter in the rooms downstairs and light that comes through the doors when they are all opened. I think I would like to live in a house like that. It is a metaphor for how I would like to be in life, with walls that are not solid so they are not impenetrable. They can be closed for privacy or, when needed, They are also open to light and a breeze or other things that happen in life. Setsuko is all energy and laughter. Hitoshi is gentle and curious. They speak a small amount of English, so Yuko comes to stay with us here, so we have a translator as the conversation moves around a lot. She has been a very good translator, and it's wonderful to spend more time with her and therefore getting to know her better. When John and I arrived in Tokyo, we took a subway from the airport and unfortunately got off at the wrong stop and got back on the wrong train, so getting to the hotel was quite an experience. It took five hours. We stayed in Shanghai the night before to break up the trip, and the flight from Shanghai to Tokyo only took two and a half hours. Our room in Tokyo was very small. John joked that we had to take turns leaving the room so one of us could change our clothes, but despite being a joke, it was very close to the truth. The room did have everything we needed, though, and it seems that this attention to detail has been the norm everywhere we have been in Japan so far. Not only is it a very clean country, But there are so many useful things here. The washrooms are a dream after the ones in China. That said, Mieko says the toilets in Japan used to be like the ones in China, so it's only a matter of time. Even the washrooms in the houses we have been to have bidets and bottom washers, etc. We wondered what some of the little pictures on the control panels of the toilets were for, and after a few surprises, i.e. water shooting upwards, we found out. We discovered an amazing 
sushi sashimi restaurant that first night in Tokyo and went back to eat a second dinner there the next night. John tried sake for the first time there, and he liked it. He began to appear tetchy when he did not get his raw fish allowance every day. We also discovered we were close to the red light district, which was mildly exciting, but we didn't go into any bars there. Despite several people trying to get him in, despite the fact that he was with me, we visited the Tokyo Tower and the Dome, the home of the Tokyo Giants, which was very exciting for John since he is a huge baseball fan. When we met up with the family, we visited a temple where John and I had our fortunes told and found out we are both lucky. Or was it we would get lucky that night? We visited some very busy shopping areas and tried to go up the sky tree, which is the f- tallest freestanding tower in the world, approximately 685 meters. But it was a Sunday and a crazy day. We saw so many different areas of Tokyo, but were left with the impression that there would always be more to see. We stayed in another area with Don, Mieko, and Yuko and had a wonderful view of Tokyo, including a pool below our window where there were dolphins swimming around. Back in Murakami, we are staying in a hotel by the seaside where there is a hot spring spa. Driving up the road towards the hotel, we passed manholes oozing with steam from the hot springs and some large, thin buildings where the steam is coming out of the top like a smokestack. There is no English in this hotel, and the rooms are simple and clean, with small tables and chairs with no legs, Japanese bathrobes and slippers, and a view of the sea. There is, as usual, everything we might need in a room except a shower. If you want one, you must go down to the baths. The baths are separated into male and female, and there are small stalls with showers and plastic stools in front of the mirrors. We are each given a washcloth and towel so you can clean yourself before entering the pool and after. There are many products for washing and scrubbing, and the water of the pool is very hot. I couldn't stay in much longer than 15 minutes at a time, and John left after five minutes. There is a large window, so we watch the sunset as we sit in the pool. After we pamper ourselves with the various creams and lotions they have there, I feel cleaner than I have for some time. We make our way in our bathrobes with a special woolen jacket on top to the restaurant where Mieko's parents and Tsutsuko and Hitoshi wait for us. In some hotels of this nature, people are served in their rooms, so the fact that you are wearing a bathrobe does not feel so decadent because everyone staying in this hotel also has one on, so we don't feel out of place. We are served many wonderful dishes and, as usual, feel completely satisfied with the many choices, quality, and quantity at the end of the meal. The Japanese have this art perfected. 
We loved our time in Murakami with Mieko's friends and family and feel grateful that we were able to get a peek into day-to-day living there. We are now on a ferry to Naoshima, a small island on the south coast of Japan. We changed bullet trains a couple times to get here, but the travel has been smooth and easy, with Mieko's help, of course. Naoshima is in a cluster of other similar islands and is about 16 kilometers around. There are few cars, no car rental places, a few bicycles and buses for getting around. The island is one huge modern art gallery. It was home to some manufacturing companies or something like that, and they closed down, leaving the islanders without livelihood. Some businessman had the idea to build some galleries and use some of the existing buildings to house a lot of art, and this has revived the island, bringing tourists and art lovers and therefore business back to the island. Mieko loves art galleries and is in her element, wanting to visit as many as possible while we are here. Don and Yuko follow too, but sometimes Don can be found on a bench reading a book he brought along, or Yuko is drawing on her artist's pad. She is an amazing young artist, and I'm sure will be famous as she has creativity oozing out of her. John and I join in to visit quite a few of the galleries, but also do our own thing. We go to a rugged beach surrounded by pine trees that reminds us of British Columbia and swim. We wander around the tiny streets of the village and find some steps up to an area that overlooks the houses and the inlet. This area leads to another area where there is one of the island's exhibits, some glass steps leading up to a shrine. Under the steps is a small, straight, subterranean walkway built into the side of the mountain. It is built so one would have another vantage point to look at the steps from underneath. This sort of thing seems to be typical on the island. The world is built around the art, not the other way around. So some of the art was purely visual, though always had a thinking element to it, and some was experiential, and I will not try to describe the rest of the art we saw there, but I will say it is a must for anyone going to Japan. The mixture of nature, art, and the Japanese culture make it a very relaxed but filling the soul kind of trip. We are staying in a comfortable and private bed and breakfast while we are here. We have two rooms and a common room where we are served breakfast. Our landlady is very good at baking, so we are fortunate to have a change from our fish and miso soup breakfasts to more of a continental-style meal. She also drives us a couple of times when it is too difficult to get a bus. We are back on the road, that is, on the trains, and have been traveling from our base in Osaka. The trains here are amazing. They seem to be on time, clean. There are teams of people dressed in pink, ready to get on and wipe the place clean before the passengers get on. 
are convenient, and they go everywhere. We had rail passes, and Mieko reserved our seats for each trip, so have no problems. Our hotel in Osaka is like the first hotel we had in Tokyo. Very small, but has everything we need. There's a bunk bed above the double bed we are sleeping in, which is serving as our suitcase holder. Since Yuko, Mieko, and Don are three people, they are using the three beds, and it is a little cramped for them. Even though this is a very reasonably priced room, breakfast is also included in the price, and every morning we go downstairs to a room that has computer-like stalls and sit side by side, eating the noodles, rice, scrambled eggs, and fish laid out on a side table, and drink the coffees and teas that come from a machine in the foyer. There is also a hot springs attached to the hotel, so many of the people staying here are in their bathrobes for breakfast. The overall vibe of the hotel is very laid back. We took a trip to Hiroshima on our way to Osaka and went to see the Hiroshima Peace Memorial Museum. The museum documents the atomic bombing of the city, and its primary message is about peace and ridding the world of nuclear weapons. We see what the city looked like before and after it was bombed, and that alone is horrific, as the city was literally flattened and reduced to ashes. The physical and spiritual effects on the city and its people are even clearer seeing artifacts and personal belongings of the victims of the blast and pictures of the people who died. The effects from the blast itself, the radiation and the heat from the blast, are explained. We leave feeling extremely emotional. We are in Kyoto. This is truly the city of temples, and we are on our way to see our third temple in one day. We walk up a very long path and arrive at the top of a hill with green forest below and more temples in the distance. We wait in a line to drink from a fountain where you can make a wish for something in your life. I won't say what I wished for, but I will say... I think it's probably already come true. We light more incense, offer up more prayers, and take in the peace, tranquility, and beauty. There has been no whacking involved today. We are back in Tokyo, and it's our last day. Mieko, who always has great ideas, suggested we go to the Science Museum, which is in yet another part of Tokyo. We see some lifelike robots perform for an audience, and it's like looking at the future. There is a huge wall with the volcanic activity in all of Japan, so you can see that it is always happening to greater or lesser degrees, which is a little scary. We visit the electronic district, where we see the newest inventions only just released here in Japan, so will not hit the rest of the world for a while. We each go our own way for this activity, and the quantity of stuff is overwhelming. 
I do not know where to look, and even if I did, I'm not sure what I'm looking at. So I make my way to the microphones and see what looks like an Elvis microphone on sale. I begin to justify why I need it. I do not have a mic in in China, and the ones you can buy there are not great. And even if there is one that is a good brand name, it might not be real. This is definitely a real Shure microphone. We started this trip with a small carry-on bags and now purchased a large suitcase to house our new clothes, etc. So we have room for it. And it's cool. I buy it. It's our last night, so we go to eat Kobe beef. It is a Japanese barbecue restaurant with tabletop grills, complete with an exhaust hose or vent over the top. We are not sure if it's actual Kobe beef, but it is delicious. Speaking of food, we tried almost every food there is in Japan with Yuko and Mieko's guidance and did not have one bad meal here. We discovered many new foods we didn't even know about and it was always delicious. We had the best tour guides possible. Thank you, Mieko, Yuko, and Dawn. It was a priceless vacation. It was even better than I dreamed it would be. This is a trip we will remember forever. This is the last chapter or episode for year two. The next episode will be the start of year three. Keep listening for more adventures in Travels with John Smith. Mm-hmm.